All right, we are going to read pages 100 to 110 today. We're going to end the sieve in the sand section, and then we'll be on to burning bright, which will start on Monday. Um, I'm going to warn you that today is going to end in a cliffhanger, so you're going to want to read more, but don't wait, wait till Monday. It'll be fun. Um, okay, so when we left off, we left Montag in the parlor with the women. They were crying because he was reading them poetry, and that was bad. So we're on page 100 at the bottom. Mrs. Bowles stood up and glared at Montag. You see, I knew it. That's what I wanted to prove. I knew it would happen. I've always said poetry and tears, poetry and suicide and crying and awful feelings, poetry and sickness, all that mush. Now I've had it proved to me. You're nasty, Mr. Montag. You're nasty. Faber said, now. Montag felt himself turn and walked to the wall slot and dropped the book in through the brass notch and the whiting flames. Silly words, silly words, silly awful hurting words, said Mrs. Bolds. Why do people want to hurt people? Not enough hurt in the world. you got to tease people with stuff like that. Clara, now Clara, begged Mildred, putting her arm, putting, pulling her arm. Come on, let's be cheery. You turn the family on now. Go ahead. Let's laugh and be happy now. Stop crying. We'll have a party. No, said Mrs. Bowles. I'm trotting right home. You want to visit my house and my family? Well and good, but I won't come in this fireman's house, crazy home house, again in my lifetime. Go home. Montag fixed his eyes upon her quietly. Go home and think of your first husband divorced and your second husband killed in a jet and your third husband blowing his brains out. Go home and think of a dozen abortions you've had. Go home and think of that and your damn cesarean sessions too and your children who hate your guts. Go home and think how it all happened and what did you ever do to stop it. Go home, go home, he yelled, before I knock you down and kick you out the door. Doors slammed and the house was empty. Montag stood alone in the winter weather with the parlor walls the color of dirty snow. In the bathroom, water ran. He heard Mildred shake the sleeping tablets into her hand. Fool, Montag. Fool, fool. Oh, God, you silly fool. Shut up! He pulled the green bullet from his ear and jammed it in his pocket. It sizzled faintly. Fool, fool. He searched the house and found the books where Mildred had stacked them behind the refrigerator. Some were missing, and he knew that she had started her own process of dispersing the dynamite in her house, stick by stick. But he was not angry now, only exhausted and bewildered with himself. He carried the books into the backyard and hid them in the bushes near the alley fence. For tonight only, he thought, in case she decides to do any more burning. He went back to the house. Mildred, he called at the door of the darkened room. There was no sound. Outside, crossing the lawn on his way to work, he tried not to see how completely dark and deserted Clarice McClellan's house was. On the way downtown, he was so completely alone with, terrible, with his terrible error that he felt the necessity for the strange warmness and goodness that came from familiar and gentle voice speaking into the night. Already in a few short hours, it seemed that he had known Faber a lifetime. Now he knew that he was two people, that he was above all Montag who knew nothing, who did not know even himself a fool, but only suspected it. And he knew that he was also the old man who talked to him and talked to him as the train was sucked from one end of the night city to the other end, one long sickening gasp of motion. In the days to follow and in the nights where, when there was no moon, and in the nights when there was a very bright moon shining on the earth, the old man would go on with his talking and this talking, drop by drop, stone by stone, flake by flake. His mind would well overlap last, and he would not be Montag anymore. This, the old man told him, assured him, promised him. He would be Montag plus favor, fire plus water. And then one day, after everything had mixed and simmered and worked away in silence, there would be neither fire nor water but wine. Out of two separate and opposite things, a third. And one day he would look back upon the fool and know the fool. Even now he could feel the start of the long journey, the leaving, leave-taking, the going away from the self he had been. It was good listening to the beetle hum, the sleepy mosquito buzz and delicate filigree murmur of the old man's voice at first scolding him, 
and then consoling him in the late hour of the night as he emerged from the steaming subway toward the firehouse world. Pity, Montag, pity. Don't haggle and nag them. You were so recently one of them. You were so recently of them yourself. They are so confident that they will run on forever. But they don't they won't run on. They don't know that this is all one huge big blazing meteor that makes a pretty fire in space, but that someday it'll have to hit. They see only the blaze, the pretty fire as you saw it. Montag, old men who stay at home, afraid, tending their peanut brittle bones, have no right to criticize. Yet you almost killed things at the start. Watch it. I'm with you, remember that. I understand how it happened. I must admit that your blind raging invigorated me. God, how young I felt. But now, I want you to feel old. I want a little of my cowardice to be distilled in you tonight. The next few hours when you see Captain Beatty, tiptoe around him. Let me hear him for you. Let me feel up the situation out. Survival is our ticket. Forget the poor, silly women. He's like, listen, dude, I know you made a mistake, but it made me excited. But we really need to, to be cowards for just a little bit together so I can figure this out. I made them unhappier than they've been in years, I think, said Montag. It shocked me to see Mrs. Phelps cry. Maybe they're right. Maybe it's best not to, not to face things, to run, to have fun. I don't know. I feel guilty. No, you mustn't. If there was no war, if there was peace in the world, I'd say fine, have fun. But Montag, you mustn't go back to being just a fireman. All isn't well with the world. Montag perspired. Montag, are you listening? My feet, said Montag. I can't move them. I feel so damn silly. My feet won't move. Listen. Easy now, said the old man gently. I know, I know you're afraid of making mistakes. Don't be. Mistakes can be profited by. Man, when I was younger, I shoved my ignorance in people's faces. They beat me with sticks. By the time I was 40, my blunt instrument had been honed to a fine cutting point for me. You hide your ignorance, no one will hit you, and you'll never learn. Now, pick up your feet into the firehouse with you. We're twins. We're not alone anymore. We're not separated out in different parlors, but with no, with no contact between. If you need help when Beatty pries at you, I'll be sitting right here in your eardrum making notes. Montag felt his right foot, then his left foot move. Old man, he said, stay with me. The mechanical hound was gone. Its kennel was empty, and the firehouse stood all about in plaster silence, and the orange salamander slept with its kerosene in its belly, and the fire throwers crossed upon its flanks, and Montag came in through the silence and touched the brass pole and slid up the dark air, looking back at the deserted kennel, his heart beating, pausing, beating. Faber was a gray moth asleep in his ear for the moment. Beatty stood near the drop hole waiting, but with his back turned as if he were not waiting. Sorry, I was just interrupted by Caleb Blinds with my uh, sampler cheesecake delivery. Anyway, okay. So, back at it, let me find my spot. Beatty, 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 Beatty. Well, he said to the men playing cars, cards, here comes a very strange beast, which in all tongues is called a fool. He put his hand to one side, palm up for a gift. Montag put the book in it. Even Without even glancing at the title, Beatty tossed the book into the trash basket and, lit a, basket and lit a cigarette. That's kind of a good thing because remember he was doing a substitute. He didn't give him the Bible. He gave him something else, even though the Bible's what he stole. Beatty never even looked. Who are a little wise, the best fools be. Welcome back, Montag. I hope you'll be staying with us now for that your fever is done and your sickness over. Sit in for a hand of poker. They sat and the cards were dealt. In Beatty's sight, Montag felt the guilt of his hands. His fingers were like ferrets that had done some evil and now never rested, always stirred and picked in hidden pockets, moving from under Beatty's alcohol flame stare. If Beatty so much as breathed on them, Montag felt that his hands might wither, turn over on their sides, and never be shocked to life again. 
that they would be buried the rest of his life in his coat sleeves, forgotten. For these were the hands that had acted on their own. No part of him here was where the conscious first manifested itself to snatch books, dart off with Job and Ruth and Willie Shakespeare. And now in the firehouse, these hands seemed gloved with blood. Twice in half an hour, Montag had to rise from the game and go to the latrine to wash his hands. When he came back, he hid his hands under the table. Beatty laughed. Let's have your hands in sight, Montag. Not that we don't trust you, understand, but they all laughed. Well, said Beatty, the crisis is past and all is well. The sheep returns to the fold. We're all sheep of straight at times. Truth is truth. To the end of reckoning we've cried. They are never alone that have, are accompanied with noble thoughts. We've shouted to ourselves sweet food of sweetly uttered knowledge. Sir Philip Sidney said. But on the other hand, words are like leaves, and where they must abound, much fruit of sense beneath is rarely found. Alexander Pope. What do you think of that, Montag? I don't know. Careful, whispered Faber, living in another world far away. Or this, <clears throat> a little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the Pyrian spring. The shallow drafts intoxicate the brain, and drinking largely sobers us again. Pope, same essay. Where does that put you? These are things he's quoting from different books he's read. Montag bit his lip. I'll tell you, said Beatty, smiling at his cards. That made you for a little while a drunkard. Read a few lines and off you go over the cliff. Bang! You're ready to blow up the world, chop off heads, knock down women and children, destroy authority. I know. I've been through it all. I'm all right, said Montag nervously. Stop blushing. I'm not needling, really, and I'm not. Do you know I had a dream an hour ago? I lay down for a catnap, and in this dream, you and I, Montag, got into a furious debate on books. You towered with rage, yelled quotes at me. I calmly parried every thrust. Power, I said, and you, quoting Dr. Johnson, said, Knowledge is more more than equivalent to force. And I said, well, Dr. Johnson also said, dear boy, that he is no wise man that will quit a certainty for an uncertainty. Stick with firemen, Montag. All else is dreary chaos. Don't listen, whispered Faber. He's trying to confuse. He's slippery. Watch out. Beatty chuckled. And you said, quoting, <clears throat> truth will come to light. Murder will not hit, be hid long. And I cried in good humor. Oh, God, he speaks only of his horse. And the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. And you yelled, This age thinks better of a gilded fool than a threadbare saint in wisdom's school. And I whispered gently, The dignity of truth is lost with much protesting. And you screamed, Carcasses bleed at the sight of the murderer. And I said, patting your hand, What do I give you, trench mouth? And you shrieked, Knowledge is power. And a dwarf on a giant's shoulder sees farthest of the two. These are all books that he's quotes that he's putting. And I sum my side up with a rare serenity in thy folly of mistaking a metaphor for proof a torrent of verbiage for a spring of capital truths, and oneself on an, as an oracle is inborn in us, Mr. Valerie once said. Montag's head whirled sickeningly. He felt beaten unmercifully on brow, eyes, nose, lips, chin, on shoulders, on upflailing arms. He wanted to yell, No, shut up, you're confusing things, stop it! Beatty's graceful fingers thrust out to seize his wrist. God, what a pulse! I've got you going, have I, Montag? Jesus, God, your pulse sounds like the day after a war. Everything but sirens and bells. Shall I talk some more? I like your look of panic. Swahili, Indian, English lit, I speak them all. And kind of excellent dumb discourse, Willie. Montag, hold on. The moth brushed against his ear. He's muddying the waters. Oh, you were scared silly, said Beatty, for I was doing a terrible thing and using the very books you clung to to rebut you on every hand, on every point. What traitor's books can be? You think you're backing you they you think they're backing you up and then they turn on you. Others can use them too. And there you are, lost in the middle of the moor, in a great welter of nouns and verbs and adjectives. 
And at the very end of my dream, along came the salamander and said, go in my way. And you got in and we drove back to the firehouse in beatific silence and dwindled away to, to peace. Baby let Montag's wrist go. Let the hand slump limply on the table. All's well that's well in the end. Silence. Montag sat like a carved white stone. The echo of the final hammer on his skull died slowly away into the black cavern where Faber waited for the echoes to subside. And then when the startled dust had settled down about Montag's mind, Faber began softly. All right, he's had his say. You must take it in. I'll say my say too in the next few hours and you'll take it in. And you'll try to judge them and make your decisions as to which way to jump or fall. But I want it to be your decision, not mine, and not the captain's. But remember that the captain belongs to the most dangerous enemy to truth and freedom, the solid, unmoving cattle of majority. Oh, God, the terrible tyranny of the majority. We all have our harps to play, and it's up to you to know how to, to know with which ear you'll listen. Montag opened his mouth to answer Faber and was saved the error in the, this error in presence of others when the station bell rang. The alarm voice in the ceiling chanted, there was a tack-tacking sound as the alarm report telephone typed out the address across the room. Captain Beatty, his poker cards in one pink hand, walked with exaggerated slowness to the phone and ripped out the address when the report was finished. He glanced perfunctorily at it and shoved it in his pocket. He came back and sat down. The others looked at him. It can wait 40 seconds while I take all the money away from you, said Beatty happily. Montag put his cards down. Tired Montag going out of this game? Yes. Hold on. Well, come to think of it, we can finish this hand later. Just leave your cards face down and hustle the equipment. On the double now. And Beatty rose up again. Montag, you don't look well. I hate to think you were coming down with another fever. I'll be all right. You'll be fine. This is a special case. Come on, jump for it. They leapt into the air and clutched the brass pole as if it were the last vantage point above the tidal wave passing below. And then the brass pole, to their dismay, slid them down into darkness into the blast and cough and suction of the gaseous dragon roaring to life. Hey! They rounded a corner in thunder and siren, with concussion of tires, with scream of rubber, with a shift of kerosene bulk in the glittery brass tank, like the food in the stomach of a giant, with Montag's fingers jolting off the silver rail, swinging into cold space, with the wind tearing his hair back from his head, with the wind whistling in his teeth, and him all the while thinking of women, the chap women, in his parlor tonight, with the kennels blown out from under them by neon wind, and his silly damned reading of, the, of a book to them, how like trying to put out fires with water pistols. How senseless and insane. One rage turned in for another. One anger displacing another. When would he stop being entirely mad and be quiet? Be very quiet indeed. Here we go. Montag looked up. Beatty never drove. But he was driving tonight. Slamming the salamander around corners. Leaning forward high on the driver's throne. His massive black slicker flapping out behind so that he seemed a great black bat flying above an engine. Over the brass numbers. Taking the full wind. Here we go to keep the world happy, Montag. Beatty's pink for phosphorescent cheeks glimmered in the high darkness, and he was smiling furiously. Furiously. Here we are. The salamander boomed to a halt, throwing men off in slips and clumsy hops. Montag, Montag stood fixing his raw eyes to the cold, bright rail under his clenched fingers. I can't do it, he thought. How can I go with this new assignment? How can I go on burning things? I can't go in this place. Beatty, smelling of the wind through which he had rushed, was at Montag's elbow. All right, Montag. The men ran like cripples in their clumsy boots, as quietly as spiders. At last, Montag raised his eyes and turned. Beatty was watching his face. Something the matter, Montag? Why? said Montag slowly. We've stopped in front of my house. 
Okay, I'm going to leave you there with that cliffhanger. We'll read the rest on Monday for this section uh, up to page like 121-ish. Um, and then we'll be done with part three. So I hope you're excited and thank you guys for listening. Talk to you later.